0: Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment, but I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30 day free trial. That's 30 whole days. You can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-B-E-L-O-P-E, Envelope. 30 days free, get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. Cannot wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, backstage senior editor and professional entertainment obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry, with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope.
1: How does their brain work in order for them to get to the performance you were trying to get to? For example, something that Bree would say a lot, which I loved, was like because like sometimes we're just like, and then a moon is falling out of the sky, and then these people that are floating or whatever. She's like, okay, what are the stakes? Are they really high right now? You know, and I'm like, oh, right. Eventually, instead of her having to ask me, I would just say, oh, and the stakes are here.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another new episode of In the Envelope, the actor's podcast. I am your host, backstage senior editor, Vinny Mancuso. And joining us today is the great, the marvelous, if you will, Writer-director Nia DaCosta. You've probably seen Nia's name in the news recently. and uh, That's no surprise. She is the director and co-writer of The Marvels, the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, not to mention the first on-screen team-up of Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, Tiana Paris' Monica Rambeau, and Iman Vellani's Kamala Khan. Now, there's also been all sorts of talk about the MCU lately, uh, but that's less interesting than the fact that Nia is one of the most exciting young names in filmmaking today. She, of course, broke out with the 2018 indie drama Little Woods, starring Tessa Thompson, and she followed that up with the sequel slash reimagining slash reboot. Doesn't matter. It was great. Candyman in 2021. And when she was tapped to helm the Marvels, that made Nia the first black woman and the youngest person, period, to direct a Marvel movie. Nia is so great here talking about the realities, both the highs and lows of not only making a movie at this size uh, and getting great, intimate performances out of her actors on a massive, often blue screen set, uh, but also at the end of the day, making sure she added her own personal touches to the MCU. Harder than it sounds, but she did it. And finally, she also touched on her next film, Heda, which reunites her with Tessa Thompson, and is in many ways her Blank Check film, uh, which she is prepping for as we speak. Let's get right into it. Here is Nia Decosta. Nia, how is it going? How are you doing? It is a pleasure to meet you.
1: Uh, it's a lovely to meet you, too. I'm good. I'm um... I'm in the middle of all the, you know, Marvel press stuff and also waiting for this actor strike to end so I can yeah. start production on my next film. <laughs> so, um, I'm good
0: though. Well, they're back at the table, uh, back at the negotiating table. Thank uh, goodness. I'm, part of me is like, I hope it happens in the middle of this interview. You know, I hope we get the right. like a text oh. or something.
1: <laughs> That'd be amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't yeah.
0: wait for this strike to be over. Yeah. Uh, but of course, with as good a deal as possible. Anything, for sure. Yeah. Anything we can get the actors, but, um, yeah I can imagine that uh handling the press for a Marvel movie basically alone alone <laughs> uh, has been uh, yeah. quite the task I can imagine um so we will make yeah. this as famous as possible
1: oh no it's totally I'm actually it's actually I don't mind press at all it's just. It's so funny because of the way that the schedule for the movie's release kept shifting down and down mm-hmm. and down. Eventually it was like overlapping with my next film. So I didn't even think I'd be able to do a lot of press or even go to the premiere because I'd be shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually kind of funny to not only have all this time to actually do it. I'm the only one who physically can do it. So Little did you know. Yeah. But interesting.
0: I, am, uh, I can't wait to talk about the Marvels, but I do want to go back because uh, we yeah. do want to provide some context and, and give you sure. an idea of, you know, how you became the filmmaker you became. Um, so I do want to go back all to the beginning. Uh, do you remember the first thing that you shot on a camera that felt to you like more than just something yeah. on a camera? You know, something the first thing you shot that where you were like, oh, I, there's a point of view. I have I have used my toolbox to put something on camera that is saying something.
1: Ooh, okay. So it will not include any of the weird horror films I made as a young person. <laughs> you um, can. <laughs> no, I would say that was definitely not me. Like ex- like expressing my like you know, love of Korean horror films through my my camera. <laughs> um, I would say when I was in film school, actually, um, mm-hmm. in your second year, you do a film. You, you can choose to do a class called um, Science on Film, and at the time, we shot on black and white reversal film uh, on a Bolex. We shot, or we like recorded sound on a sound mag. We hand cut the film. We hand cut the sound. We taped it together. And then we projected it in class. And that's how we presented our films. And at the time I was like 17, I was so insecure. I was like, oh, what am I even doing here? Making films, you know? But when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, like actually I really had a point of view and I, you know, All those little films we made, which were like between a minute to like a minute to three minutes, maybe shorter. I was always like kind of searching for something, trying new things, trying out new visual language. And it's the sort of searching that I'm continuing to do in my work. Just trying to find ways to do things differently. Um, So I think that's the first time that I would say I have really felt like I was doing something besides just like pretending to drown my friend in a toilet. Which is,
0: which also (laughs) has value, of course. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. Those, you know, all of that stuff, I assume, exists somewhere. Like, is there any time where you revisit it? Or, like, is is that just, is your earliest stuff, like, is there any time for you where you're like, maybe I should go back and see, like, what I was doing? Like, maybe I should see what...
1: Um no, um, <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, I mean, I I have all of that film. I mean, it's all on um, it's all on on these reels that I have like in a bag in my mom's basement somewhere. And then I have you know like my thirty five millimeter film that I shot in Prague at FAMU uh, during study abroad one year, which is also so amazing to have been able to do that. Yeah, I have like I have my first film, my second film, <laughs> um <laughs> the TV I done. You know, it, it is nice to to go back actually. like my film work but the early early stuff i haven't really done yet but i think i should at some point
0: and you've talked a lot about you know being inspired particularly early by apocalypse now um i'm curious you know how much of who you are as a filmmaker you know both through film school uh through your first film and who you are now um is kind of inspired by uh the fact that you were inspired early by this movie where so much of it is like the boldness of making it in the first place like. Like yeah. the audaciousness of just getting that movie done is such is baked into that movie. So I'm curious, you know, who, how much of that affected you now as a as a filmmaker? Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like you know that film was really inspiring because it was one of the films I watched that, in that period that made me feel like, oh wow, you can really do anything, and so much as possible to do such in such a heightened way, so much as possible to do in camera. Obviously, there are huge, like, ethical uh, issues with how that film is made. A
0: <laughs> couple, yeah.
1: but uh, A few. But I think um, when I think about film now and the sort of things we just take for granted that aren't possible to do, I just don't buy any of it. And so, um, and I'm always searching for a way to push through that. Feeling of like, oh, that's too difficult, or ah, oh, that's gonna be that. We can just do it with VFX, for example. Like that's one thing that I'm like, even in a VFX-heavy film, I'm just like, we have to make a movie. We cannot just be pushing this off to like hundreds of VFX artists to figure it out later. You know, like we have to be here in the space and have things have to feel real, et cetera, et cetera. So I think watching that film made me feel like, no, all the things I want to put onto films, it's possible to do. We just have to like, get our shit together and do it. And then some things just aren't possible, like um, someone flying through space or diving into a volcano or whatever. And then that's when you have great VFX. And uh, obviously doing Marvel, like huge VFX movie, um, I was lucky to have the most amazing VFX supervisor, Tara DeMarco, who, like me, just really loves like invisible effects, loves things, loves things to feel grounded. Mm-hmm. So, um, So, yeah.
0: I love that you can, you know, there's a lesson to be taken from that movie that is not, you know, two years go insane like the, but right. like, but it is like the right lesson to take that like don't accept you can't do it just yeah. don't just don't just don't yeah. you know, blow up a jungle to do it exactly. um um i also i've i've seen you say that uh, when you were sort of finding out who you were as a writer um yeah. you, a lot of what that meant for you young was um fan fiction uh doing a lot of uh fan fiction uh yeah. and i'm curious you know of course that was a long time ago but how much of that baked into you the idea of like playing in something like a marvel sandbox you know like sort of yeah using other people's characters in a way that felt personal to you
1: it's actually so funny because like harry potter was a huge like world of fan fiction it was something to me just a huge world and community online of people who loved it and who you Know knew it better than JK Rowling did. You know there was this one website mm-hmm. I can't remember, but like that she admitted to referencing to see if yeah. something had happened in her book. So that, that was amazing. It- yeah, and it's so amazing because that's what fandom gives in its most positive. You know, it's a resource, it's a community, and I and I love that. And so it's a mix of like, on the one hand, like learning about characterization, like like even learning what a Mary Sue is and trying to trying to unpack that like away from the misogyny of the Mary Sue title, but actually like why why does this female character who's amazing and really powerful become a Mary Sue? And why does this female character who's amazing and really powerful not become a Mary Sue, you know? And like learning about how to stay consistent to a world, but also push the boundaries is something that I think the best fan fiction does, which is really fun. And yeah, I think, I think that's like just like a, like a craft space, but then also just from a, from a fan point of view, you know, I was like deeply online (laughs) when (laughs) I was younger and, um, and you also just see what people appreciate about these worlds. And that's what like drew me to fandom in the first place and comic books and like Sailor Moon fandom was huge for me when I was younger. So I wrote like Sailor Moon fan fiction when I was like okay. really young. Okay. And, um, and yeah, that's what it, um, but it's really the love of a thing, like coming together around loving something is part of why I wanted to, be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that's that's my version of fandom like I know obviously there's a lot of like toxic stuff and like whatever but I love it because it's about loving this thing so those are the two things I kind of think fan fiction helped me to get to
0: yeah I think that's a really good point is like you know whenever people do talk about how much loud toxicness is in the fandom community you can point to fan fiction as like the purest form of like because just from like an output standpoint they, yeah. people are writing thousands and thousands of words and like you said yeah it's because they love it mm-hmm. and you speaking of writing you know i've seen you say that's something you were taught in film school you know was the the old adage you know write what you know yeah. and for a while you sort of took that literally but a big uh turning point for you was that you you learned to sort of write what you knew emotionally yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, what does that mean for you? Like, what does that mean in practice? Or the difference between, because I know that is something that is sort of baked into a lot of writing, teaching, you know, formal yeah. writing, teaching, right what you know, but it it is both a strength and a bit limiting at the same time. So I'm curious what it means for you to sort of write something that you know emotionally, if not literally.
1: Yeah, I think we, obviously we're now in an era where more people are telling stories, telling their own stories, which is really exciting. And for me growing up, like, I, I think this is also something that fan fiction does and why fanfiction exists. It's like mm-hmm. most of these worlds are super white, super male, that a lot of this, like like if you're into fantasy, for example, it's like so white, so male, but yeah. obviously there's like circle of magic and other things. But but like fan fiction is in response to that and saying like, hey, I want to see myself in this world and not as like a self insert character, but actually like I want to see myself, my my emotionality, my story, my community in these worlds. Because I love these worlds, and also I want to, I want to be seen in it. So, so that's where that impetus comes in, in the fan fiction realm. And I think that similar thing is what I wanted to do in writing, which was not to like literally write a story about like a girl from New York City whose parents are Jamaican and who went to boarding school. And da da da. It's like no, actually, all the experiences of that I want to see in a different kind of world. So like, the most like. Literal thing is like taking that experience and putting it like you know into Hogwarts because I went to boarding school and Hogwarts is a boarding school, you know what I mean? But then there's like my first film, which you know I didn't grow up in North Dakota, I didn't grow up in that kind of poverty, I never had to go cross into Canada for an abortion or anything like that. But it was something that I was really passionate about telling a story around. And for me, my my access point wasn't just like the logistics of that journey and what that meant and healthcare and women's rights and etc. It was this story about these two sisters. And I know what that is because I have a sister and our relationship isn't like that, but there's like, there are elements of it that carry through. And then as a, just as a writer, you use your craft to to push it forward and change it and all that stuff. And, and, you know, in the Marvel film as well, like I, in my pitch, I said, these three women are like three strange sisters who have to find each other again. So like, that's how I use what I know um, emotionally to, to, to put into the writing and worlds that I don't know.
0: And since that's a lesson that you know you you learned obviously through practice and 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 doing the thing, is there any is there any sort of advice you have for people who, who are looking to become storytellers? You know mm-hmm. whether that is, whether that means directing, writing, you know whatever it means to sort of get to that place where you can take something you a, a genre you're interested in, fantasy, sci-fi, and yeah. sort of seeing what your emotional, like you said, your emotional in to that world is. Is there anything that you do, I mean, or is it is that something that just sort of had to develop naturally?
1: You know, it's interesting I because I always wrote. I would always be writing. Like, writing was something I did from a very young age, and I just loved doing it. Um, And I don't think I really knew why I was writing. I just felt like this urge to, like, write. But I don't think I really knew, like, what my brain was doing, what my spirit, I guess you could say, was doing, like, why I was compelled to to write. Yeah, so when I started writing, I wasn't really sure, like, why or what, why that was my thing, why I felt compelled to do it, why I felt moved to do it. Um, and actually, recently, I think and this kind of goes to the advice part of it. There are so many things that I'm trying to work out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: trying to understand about the world I live in, the position I've been placed in this world because of the way I look, because of my gender, my race, my height, my age, you know, all these markers of identity. And I'm fascinated by how these markers of identity even came into being, like being Jamaican-American, for example. like two identities that, that, that did not exist 400 years ago, you know? So it's just that sort of thing, like has recently been really fascinating to me. So I'm really interested in like colonialism and trade and how capitalism like has basically shaped what the world looks like now. You know, this is just an example. But I'm like, oh, this is a huge topic that I'm like deeply interested in. And there's so many ways to talk about it. There's so many ways to explore it. And there's so many characters inside of that. And that's, I think, how you how you find your font like this is how you find your it's like what are you working through like what are you thinking about what what moves you what disturbs you usually what disturbs you is a really good place to start um yeah i think that's a really really useful to kind of look at it that way
0: and it's would you say it sort of helps to to then you know chase those things that you those questions that you're curious about those things that you're sort of and then doing that in a in a world you know well you know because you said you were doing it you know with with fantasy and stuff like yeah, that yeah. and of course your first film was was very grounded but then you know moved on to, moved on to horror and now you're moving on to the superhero does it help to sort of surround yourself with um i guess genre trappings and, and tropes that you know sort of just from immersing yourself in it
1: i think sometimes i think um i think it can i think genre is super helpful usually because like certain things, like the audience is prepared for certain things to happen in specific genres. And so then subverting a couple of things inside of that genre, you know, you have a map for that. But I think it it goes to anything, you know, like the quietest films um, to the biggest films, to the most like genre heavy, like thrillers or historical epics, you know, I think it always has to come back to what you're grappling with, what you're trying to figure out, and how that relates to whoever your characters are.
0: I love that. So I, I have seen you say that you know when you start a film, uh, your DP, who in this case with the Marvels is uh, Sean Bobbitt, uh, Twelve Years a Slave, uh, Widows, some great films, and your production designer, who is Kara from Candyman, I believe. Yeah. Same. Uh, you have said that you they sort of get a, a extensive deck uh, <laughs> yeah. of images, and I think with Candyman it was like you know shots of Chicago, photography from local Chicago. Um, so I'm curious what it what did it look like. Did you do this for the Marvels and what did that uh, mood board sort of feel like to you?
1: Yeah, um, that's so funny. So with the Marvels, it's so interesting because of the way they work, where like I don't even think there was there wasn't a script when we like officially started prep. So it was like, okay, I know like there's an outline, an like, extensive outline, you know what the story is. Um, and then I just know what I want it to look like. And there are certain worlds that exist already. So like, usually I'm talking about like colors I want in the world, the different worlds, how they're gonna react, like engage with each other, how the characters are gonna sit within the world, like textures, um, lensing, like what kind of like framing are we gonna do? What kind of glass are we gonna use? Like just a a big thing of like my ideas and what I think the world looks like as it relates to like the characters, as it relates to locations, um, as it relates to like how like the arcs of, of, of the characters and how the arc of the movie goes. And then they usually have like amazing ideas off of that that are like a bajillion times better, which is so fun. And then we just like hone it down and we just get closer and closer to what the thing is. And I think with the, since this Marvel film, like because of the way they develop things and sort of a moving target at times, like it continues to develop and churn and change and. You know, which is really fun. And we have a lot of time to do that. We have like, you know, there's a long prep process, a long shoot, obviously, and long post. So yeah, it's really interesting. The funny thing is actually my, my, the movie I'm doing now was not that at all. It was like very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't actually send like a huge deck to to either of them this time, which was like my first time not doing that. Like when I was doing TV or even a small like commercial, I always did that. And it's my first time I didn't. And I think it's because like I've written the script, it'd been done for a while like they read it the script's super clear about what it is mm-hmm. and so and it's like one location one big location so for Kara, her work was like okay let me find this location and also it's a period so let me tell you what this period is like and i had some ideas like these colors whatever and then with sean we were just interested in like doing something no one had seen before so going to find references from other things just didn't seem like <laughs> the way to like yeah. make a very unique the movie. reference
0: is something nobody is, is. exactly not invent really... something new
1: Exactly. Which I always trying to do because I think it's like, even when it comes to like creating those decks, like I try not to use images from other films um, unless there's something very specific that I'm trying to, to show that someone's done. Yeah. I'm like always trying to push, like, like I don't want us to get stuck or complacent inside of film language. Cause I think there's so much more to do so so much further to push when it comes to that.
0: It's interesting because, you know, not only do you have the, 30 odd mcu films that came before but you're dealing with (laughs) decades of comic book imagery a very image focused so it's interesting that you're sort of like i want to use that history and get to a place where we're showing people things that they have not seen before yeah how does that sort of uh get mixed into the process when you then eventually do get a script it's interesting to me that you sort of are coming up with a mood and a tone and sort of the colors and the vibe. And then you, then the script comes. Yeah. Later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How does that get molded into to sort of what you're already envisioning?
1: Oh man. It's, it's a, it's a rolling process. And like, you know, I, I, I would do a pass on the script, like my, my writers and I would like pass it back and forth because it's like, it's a mix of like, Hey, what's in my head? What are you trying to do? Cause we're all going to the same vision, like whatever Marvel wants, like that's, we're trying to get to that thing while also putting in like what they hired us for, which is our own unique set of skills and, mm-hmm. um, and our vision and our talent, whatever. So it's, it's really like this, like this, like, it's almost like a game of tennis. You're just like batting this ball back and forth and the ball keeps changing and eventually you're like, Oh, the ball is so beautiful now. And then you shoot it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I love that. I so this one one other thing that I sort of saw you say in the past that I just found really interesting that I sort of would love a little bit more so the idea of what it means is that you, when you're talking to your DP, you said that you talk a lot about how to draw um, humanity and character out of a face. Um, yeah. what, what does that mean <laughs> for you specifically? Because it's very interesting, <laughs> uh, especially in like in something like Candyman and something like the Marvels, where it's very character focused. It's very you know. You're drawing a lot out of a person's face. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so what does that mean for you as you know a director and storyteller?
1: That's so funny. Um, because I don't even remember that saying that, <laughs> but I've said so many things <laughs> that people can hold me to. So it's a mix of so something that I like to which is like I guess maybe very straightforward filmmaking, but I really like to figure out how we're gonna visually represent spaces and characters as the movie progresses. Um, so for example, like on Carol's ship which is a set that, you know, it's in the trailer, so I can talk about. Um, we wanted to change the way that space felt based on the relationship between the three women and how it had sh- how it shifts throughout the film. So it's cold when, and and sort of moody when Carol's there alone being like a space emo. And then when these women come in and crash her her, her situation and they, they end up becoming closer on a team, it gets warmer and warmer as we go along, like in the most basic sense to explain it. But So that's like one thing. And then within that space, you have, you have the characters and their faces and you have one like performance and that sort of direction, what they're bringing, what I'm asking for. But then also with the lighting and and the glass you use, like I am obsessed with, I love lenses so much. I love learning about lenses. I love all the kooky, weird shit that you can get and how it changes the face and how it makes the face really beautiful or distressing to look at or slightly off and, and, um, I think it's about really choosing those things really carefully in each instance to maybe not fully consciously, but in some way signal to the audience like who this person is. And humanity is important because otherwise, why are we watching these people? Mm-hmm. Um, even with villains or people who, are, who do terrible things in films, I think it's important that we are able to show them in their truth, I guess.
0: The, the lens rabbit hole is a good one to go down uh, because it is, it is remarkable. Like the subtle shifts that can happen, same camera, four different lenses.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that something, you you know, even, even mentioning that you wanted to subtly change, you know, Carol's environment, uh, you know, just like any, anything that sort of shifts any sort of character progression in these characters. I'm, I'm curious. And you've talked about this a little bit, how you sort of, balance or walk the tightrope of wanting to put something like that in and also being aware that this is a film uh being slotted into a larger tapestry you know that 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 you can't you can't do the the butterfly effect like something can't yeah yeah. mess up something eight films down the road um i'm sure that's a, a balancing act so how did you sort of you know sit down with it and be like okay here's here's what i can cannot do or whatever
1: yeah i mean visually Marvel's pretty much like, have at it, do whatever you want, mm-hmm. which is which I loved. Um, I mean, that changes a bit when it comes to vFX because so much of their world is built there, and so much of it has already been established, like what a jump point looks like, you know mm-hmm. what these power like Carol's power, what that looks like, what uh, Kamala's power looks like. but it's fun to get to push these and develop them, and like I changed some things a bit just to suit my taste a bit more. <laughs> um and I think for me, because I really love comic books and I'm so I'm used to this thing when like you're reading a run of a like let's say you're reading like Iron Fist and then a new creative team takes over a new artist takes over it looks completely different and the same story is happening and you just accept it because you're like and sometimes you don't like it but you just you're like this is how comics work and that's what I think is fun about the MCU it's like I mean they all basically have a general energy because it is the same like universe but the way I do space in my film is very different from the way James Gunn does space in his film. And it looks slightly different from like Ragnarok space. And, and I, and we have a lot to, t- do that. Um, the place where you can't really go crazy in my, well, I mean, you can, if it all works, but is uh, like story, like the story is really, you know, has to fit together.
0: Yeah. In terms of like, you know, playing around with these characters that have been established, I do want to talk to you about how you work with actors, you know, how you sort of have, have learned to talk to actors and how you have Applied that to this thing that is gigantic and and sort of but personal at the same time. So I do want to just ask, you know, how you've developed the way that you talk to actors. I think I've seen you say that you you read Michael Caine's book on acting. Mm. Uh, you went to you went to a drama school um, to get your your writing degree. So there's a lot of you know there's, you have a lot of acting mm. in in your brain. So I'm curious about yeah. sort of how you developed the way that you approach actors, and you know that can vary from actor to actor, but overall.
1: Um. I, that's a good question. I, so one thing you just get better and better, I think, is listening to the way they need to be spoken to in the sense of like, how does their brain work in order for them to get to the performance you're both trying to get to? So for example, something that Brie would say a lot, which I loved was like, Because like sometimes we're just like, you're you're, you're like, and then a moon is falling out of the sky and then these people are floating or whatever. And she's like, okay, what are the stakes? Mm -hmm. Are they really high right now? You know, and I'm like, oh, right. And so eventually instead of her having to ask me, I would just say, oh, and the stakes are here. And then with Tiana, you know, for example, I noticed like her brain is like super into the specifics and the minutia. So it's just like building in that amount of detail. And i think it's just like each actor has a like a slightly different like way some people are so different but and the ones that i'd like to hire and work with have, have a specific way of like understanding the world that they have to play in and so you figure out how to play with them basically but honestly if i'm being honest like i know a lot of directors say this but like half of it is casting like mm-hmm. you know obviously in a marvel film like i inherited a ton of actors but um like sam jackson is fury for example the man has played fury for 10 years. Like mm-hmm. he knows what the hell is going on. You know what I mean? He knows what's happening. Um, and so a lot of the direction there or like the conversations are like, how does this fit? How does Fury fit into this specific story, this specific movie? But usually like my, my preference is actors who are pretty, uh, pretty good at um, articulating their needs <laughs> so that we yeah. can help each other. Absolutely. Um, but for people who aren't first, like I worked with a lot of non-actors on top boy it's really just listening initially and then when you get that glimmer of like ah that's what it is this leaning into that more
0: absolutely I love listening to um, Samuel Jackson talk about I mean I think he did an interview recently where it's like he 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 knows it so well that Good. he's not going to give you too much uh experimentation because it's like I'll give you what I know and yeah that's exactly what you get. yeah um I do want to sort of jump off of that. Uh, ask, you know, about balancing, drawing out, you know, I, you mentioned drawing out humanity in the face and giving actors sort of space to to really just do what they do in that in that scenario, balancing that with the massive technical aspects around. it. You know, there's uh. there's there's thousands of people on the set. There's you have to keep continuity. Uh, you have to make sure everything's good for the post-production process. Uh, 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 you really can't mess around with that too much, but you uh, uh, do uh, want to uh, give actors their space to do what they do, yeah. Um, so how do you keep that that collaboration when there's also one thousand moving parts <laughs> happening around the performance?
1: Yeah, um, basically, like okay. So when I was doing my first film, Little Woods, like we do pretty standard, like call the actors in, bring them to set before they th- go through hair and makeup, block blocking rehearsal. Figure it out, figure out what we're gonna do. Okay, this is cool. Then the DP and I will watch them do it. We'll talk about what the shots are gonna be. I like to tell the actors what we're thinking for the shots so they're not just like feeling like sacks of meat, <laughs> like our moat, and then get like, you know, moved around. And then we all are like, hey, this is what it's gonna be. And then we bring the crew in, sh- show the crew. Then we send the actors off to hair and makeup, and then everyone does what they need to do to get the first shot ready. All of that I do on a Marvel set as well. And then when it comes to the actual like shooting, of the scene, then you have like, you know, my camera, maybe there's a camera and B camera. And then you have the effects, who is like two people taking pictures so that they can get references for, you know, what they need to do in post. And then after you finish the setup, you have to do clean plates. And then, you know, there's all this stuff to do. And so for me, that time when you're rehearsing with just the actors and, the, and you know, and the AD and the DP and the scripty, and you're figuring it out, Really like taking your time with that because after that it's just gonna be crazy, and then also in between just like I like to keep people like I'm very conscious of like eye lines and I'm always checking in with them like like because sometimes someone has to just be standing somewhere inconvenient and it's like is this gonna be okay with you if it's not cool we'll figure something else out if it is then great but also I think after a while like Bria in particular it's like she's like I get it like this is we we're all technicians, you know, like acting is obviously a specific thing, but so is, you know, writing on being a writer on set. So is directing. So is you know being the gaffer, being another spark, et cetera. So I think, and this again goes into casting, if you can cast the right people who kind of feel like, oh, I get it. I can articulate what my needs are. Thank you for asking. And also I understand that I'm a technician inside of this big machine as well. Then usually you're OK. Is
0: it is it I. I again, this is something I just I just read. That the first time you directed Brie and Iman was for the the Worlds My of Marvel Lord. on the dancing <laughs> cruise ship. Um, yeah, it's a an interactive dining experience. Yeah. I'm curious what that <laughs> first time was like, and you know how that affected then working with them recently after that. It the, your reaction yeah. was, <laughs> was not uh, uh, glowing, uh, so I am curious about that.
1: Um. So I did the, the the cruise thing and then also um, shot Brie for um, a roller coaster. Great. The roller coaster is really fun. I wrote it in, in Disney Paris. I loved it. Amazing. Um, here's what I'll say. The first thing I'll say <laughs> is like the people who produce this content and like have to make this and whatever are amazing. It's brilliant. I know like Kevin really loves doing it because it's like it's fucking cool, man. Like you make this movie and then like mm-hmm. there's a roller coaster. And then there's like this crazy giant slide on a cruise or whatever. There's this is, you know, like interactive experience here and there. like, that's really cool to connect with like the bigger impact of this thing that you're doing at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like everything I was promised that making a Marvel movie would not be, which was mm-hmm. like someone over your shoulder, make sure you do this, telling you how to shoot, blah, blah, blah. And I think for my first two days, because yeah. they were also my first two days shooting, I was like, Whew, this is not what we're going to be doing <laughs> when we're shooting the actual movie. Um, and I was like, oh my God, what an awful way to meet my actors. Like, this is not, not cool. But then of course, like you get into it and you're like, oh, this is like, Brie's done this before. Mm-hmm. Iman, I don't think has done it before, but it was like an interesting way to get to know them. And also it was like, ended up being really cool to see how the crew, because my, my, like, my entire crew was also shooting it, seeing how my crew worked together. Um, it was our first time, it was first time for me shooting in an entirely blue screen space and so it was like a little bit of a fun mm-hmm. like little start incidentally at the most inconvenient time like two weeks before we were supposed to shoot but but it ended up being like really interesting and really um informative
0: yeah oh well, and when you start from there you know it can only go <laughs> <can only> going <laughs> go up, up
1: exactly yeah
0: um, and I I have, you know, I've seen you say, and I promise this is probably the yes. last thing, um, the, the last uh, former quote you've given that I'm going to throw back at you. <laughs> words, yeah. um, but I've seen you say, you know, you love working with actors because you love bringing out different sides of them. Um, uh-huh. That was, you know, and you're talking about uh, Little Woods, but, you know, I think that you're also referring to Candyman as well. So I'm curious, you know, when you, again, this is a large scale project and these are people who have played these characters before, Yeah. Um, but you are... Interested as a storyteller and a filmmaker and showing people things that they have not seen, um, so I'm curious, you know, in what ways you were working and succeeded in bringing out different sides of, you know, your your three leads, you know, Brie, Deonna, and, yeah. and Iman. How would you say that you brought out the, the the other sides of them that people have not seen before?
1: I can speak specifically to Tiana because we'd worked together before, mm-hmm. and so for me. <laughs> One of the funniest things was there was a day when we were shooting Candyman and she has to like, look and like, see this horrifying thing and then scream and like, wake up from a dream. And she was having the hardest time. Like, she was like, but nothing's there. She's like, what? She's like, how am I supposed to react? Like, she's like, nothing's there. Like, this is, uh. and I was like, I know it. And then we did a couple of takes and she's like, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And then, of course for me, I'm looking at it and it looks amazing because she's amazing. And I'm like, I know you don't feel it, but it's okay. Cause I see it. And like, she's like, all right. And then we did it. And then and then she got WandaVision and she jokingly was like, she got WandaVision, what happened? She got WandaVision and then I got the Marvels and she was like, oh no, Nia knows I can't act against something <laughs> that's not there or something like that. And, um, which of course she can, but just like something she wasn't like comfortable with, but we got on set for the Marvels and it's that moment from Candyman times a thousand, yeah. um, entire days, sometimes entire weeks where we're, or an entire week where we're just on a blue screen stage, there's like a platform where there's like one set piece or whatever. And also it's like a lot of action. she never done action before. And to see her become a superhero, like to see her like deftly be able to like look at a orange X on a blue screen and like, you know, start crying or like seeing, you know, her mother or whatever. Like it was, it was amazing to see that and to be able to be a part of like that journey, and that's something that that's sort of what I mean. It's like being able to like be there and be a part of someone doing something they never thought they could do as an actor, which I find really exciting. Um, Bray, is she's done it before. Uh, <laughs> cool. I think for me with the character, I really wanted to bring something different out of the character. I wanted mm-hmm. to move away from. I wanted to move more into her emotional depth. I wanted to now that she has her memories back. Uh, I wanted her to. I wanted to know what it was like to be a woman who thinks they have the entire universe on their shoulders. And then i I just wanted to hang out with Iman. She's amazing. I love her so much. Uh, <laughs> and she, you know, her first job was Miss Marvel. Her second job yeah. was the Marvel. So it was just amazing to, again, it's just like being on that journey and seeing more of what she can do as opposed to like something different, I guess.
0: Well, actually, I'm curious about working with Iman because, you know, you've worked with young actors before on Little Woods, uh, but, you know, like you mentioned, she she's so... This is her first. These are her first first gigs, yeah, yeah. and she feels so um, comfortable in front of the camera, uh, comfortable with this this sort of world. So I, you know, it, when it comes to specifically working with actors, um, what is your experience like working with someone like Iman, who who is so, I, I don't want to say raw, but she's she. This is her. This is she's still sort of learning and doing this as she does. Yeah, it.
1: yeah. Um, Iman's amazing because she's like the most professional the most prepared the most wonderful to be around the she's like truly a wonderful human and amazing actor and like the only thing i ever said to her i was never like here's what you need to know girl i was like don't pick up any bad habits you pick up All, you know that you see it may be like just don't you know but like stay who you are because you are perfect you know um it was amazing to work with her and to get to know her yeah i mean it's also really fun because she's such a marvel nerd so there was one day <laughs> we were shooting and we we're trying to figure something out and we're like oh my god oh my god and she's like i think and i was like wait just give me a second i just need to figure it out she's like okay then we shot this whole thing and she was like so what i was going to say was xyz and we're like oh <laughs> that solves all of our problems thank you aman like you know she um she's great
0: i love that so you, you know you've made you you've you've talked before and you've said that this 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 wasn't this wasn't something like somebody going straight from the indies and then like accidentally doing a big... like you 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 wanted to do bigger movies you know you wanted yeah. to to work in 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 large genres stuff like this. So I'm curious what as we sort of get to the other side of it what what are you taking from the the Marvel experience into, you know, the stuff you do next? Yeah. Like what is what is what is the takeaway from this process that you are most excited to then bring to something different or something smaller or something more whatever.
1: Well, like I was i definitely a lot more confident in my ability to make a movie, like just the physical aspect, like the physical work, the endurance, the rigor of making a film. You know, it was the longest shoot I'd ever done by a long shot. It was 80 something days. Um, and then you add a reshoot to so that. It's, you know, however, however long that would be. And it's like, you know, my longest shoot before that was 35 days. No, not even 32 days. It was My longest shoot before that. So that's one. And then being able to work with such at such a large scale, like the equipment, the crew, everything just gets bigger, bigger, bigger. And being able to like stepping onto that set and and being having an amazing crew who are just truly the best. And being in command of all that, I was like, oh I can do this. Okay, cool. Like that that's informative. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like realizing I can do it. And also realizing how hard it is, mm-hmm. um, but also like that's the way films are supposed to be hard. Like they're supposed to be hard because the work itself of trying to make the best thing is is rigorous. That's the thing I'm going to take away the most. Like the confidence that I could actually kind of do anything now.
0: Mm-hmm. That apocalypse now idea, but much. In a much yeah. more controlled much more
1: controlled less drama i'm very anti-drama on set <laughs> uh, i won't be cursing on any actors um no one will be having a heart attack exactly no cocaine on my sets <laughs> um, <laughs> um but yeah that is what's i think the most exciting about doing any films so you're like oh man i could i can do that great cool
0: so as we sort of uh wrap up here i do want to ask just one more general question for you. Um, you know, if somebody was to watch a Neo DaCosta movie and be inspired in the way that you were inspired by Apocalypse Now, um, what would you want or hope the takeaway would be for them?
1: Ooh. Um, I feel like this will be most true on my next home. But the thing that inspired me about about Apocalypse Now was that this filmmaker and this team set out to do something. And it was like, so true to what they wanted to do, especially what Coppola wanted to do. And I think, I hope if someone watches, in particular my next film, and they're inspired to do exactly what they feel, or to tell the exact story that they want to tell. Like, I think that's the most powerful thing about being a, a storyteller. It's like, You're your individual person. You're unique because you are yourself and not anyone else. And so the way you see the world is going to be so special and unique. And you have, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to express to everyone. Uh, You can't try to be like anyone else. So I hope that um, they feel that when they watch my work and they feel inspired to go do that themselves. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I I, I hope that we get this deal done and you can take a rest <laughs> for a little yeah. bit and, and get started yeah. on this next movie which it sounds yeah. incredible We're I'm so excited to see you know the Marvels and everything that comes after thank you so much but this was a pleasure thank you so much for thank me. you as always to our brilliant producer jamie muffet and to the whole team at backstage samantha sherlock mark stinson caitlin watkins and of course casey howe visit backstage.com and don't forget you can subscribe to backstage with code envelope at checkout for a free trial 100 percent free you simply cannot beat that for more exclusive content find us on facebook and twitter at in the envelope and subscribe share and leave a comment who should we interview next let us know Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.